Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the La Rouge Rugby Podcast, the podcast focusing on real Canadian rugby. I'm Shu Hardy, joined as always by Derek Brissett. Derek, what do you make of the rugby that was happening in Europe this weekend as we prepare for the World Cup that'll be happening over the Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada? Oh, yeah, it's going to be, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, October is going to be wild. Um, it's going to be a super busy month, obviously. Uh, obviously, you got a World Cup. We got a few Canada matches, although not all the Canada matches we were hoping for. We'll get no, we will be getting into that yeah. in a, just a second. Um, basically, the rugby that happened in Europe, the Saracens are the best team in the world, as they have proven time and time again. Um, so, yeah, not not definitely not a close one. If you're a Harlequins fan, I hope you have a defibrillator handy um, wherever it is you are watching their games at. Um they're probably the most exciting team in the league right now, just because, you know, there's always insane comebacks or like really close games or guys flying over the corner flag for a try. So those th- I find those games really good. Um, how did the Ospreys do? I, the I, need, Ospre- I need my weekly yeah. Ospreys update. Yeah. Well, the Ospreys started their season with a draw last week. They had a one point loss, but this time around, they finally got their first win of the season, a monumental win over the Glasgow Warriors. Uh, A little bit of a slip-up towards the end, you know, letting in two tries after they'd already secured the bonus point victory. But, you know, these it's a young squad. You know, you make these mistakes and uh, hopefully you only make them once and uh, not again. But, you know, the URC, uh, Wales currently at the top of the uh, Welsh Shield, as it's known. So currently on track to make it into the uh, Champions Cup next yeah, I mean the Champions Cup hasn't even begun this year, so maybe I'm maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit, oh, but yeah. uh, you know they're on the right track, so yeah, no, that's I'll good. Also, them. you got to give. Speaking of the URC, we got to give that shout out to that loose head prop that crushed a fifty twenty two kick. Um, for uh, Zebra. I can't remember hold. who it is. That was his first game. I remember reading that it was his first game, but I'm blanking on the name right now. But oh, that what? Was... Well, what an impression to make! Absolutely. Yeah, that was nasty. So that was a uh, a lot of fun uh, fun rugby stuff going on. Uh, going on this week so yeah i guess um, we should turn our uh, attention back across the atlantic and talk about uh rugby uh, or the lack thereof in uh, canada at the moment because it was announced on america's rugby news last week that the canada versus all blacks 15 game has been cancelled now uh within the article there's no indication of which side has pulled out but it was um announced in a press release for the All Blacks 15, that they had secured their fixtures against the Barbarians and what appeared to be an Ireland 15 or an Irish team. Let me just let me just have a quick scan of that because, of course, we always do our research as before the show. That's our whole thing. We do the research. Yeah, we do the research and then we forget it and then we have to confirm it. Yeah, unfortunately, no fixture this coming uh, October. Oh, test match, officially. Yeah. They're, oh, they're yeah. playing Brazil and Chile in the Yeah. 15 games, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been confirmed that the All Blacks 15 will be playing a game against Ireland on the 4th of November at the RDS Arena in Dublin and will be playing the Barbarians at Tottenham Stadium in London the Saturday following that. So that'll be the 13th of November. So, yeah, no October game that has been listed for the All Blacks 15. There was also uh, mentioned in the America's Rugby News article that a game against Ireland Argentina 15 fell through as well. So it does seem to be a case of 
logistics, things just haven't worked out. Um, but also mentioned in the article is that at this point in time, Rugby Canada has no confirmed men's 15s matches for the autumn international window. Now, this may be a case of, you know, um, saving resources. Obviously, uh, the Women's World Cup is about to start and you want to keep all eyes on that. And the way that tournament is going, it's looking as though Canada are going to be one of the teams that will be hopefully making it to the final four. And therefore, that means there'll be games in November that would overlap with the men's 15s. And, you know, ideally, you want to have all eyes on a World Cup. So possibly uh, it may just be, you know, best intentions haven't worked out, as we can clearly see from this Canada versus All Blacks 15 fixture not um, coming through. But a um, announced game against the Netherlands, that now seems to be off as well. So, yeah, it's uh, troubling, to say the least. But uh, it is what it is, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's also important to note that also when we were talking about that Brazil-Chile-America's uh, Rugby Trophy setup, that Canada was the one country that was pushing for those to be uncapped games. So mm-hmm. I guess those could have been test matches, but I guess Canada didn't want to do that, which I think... Last week when we were talking about it, we were theorizing, um, hypothesizing, I suppose, that the reason that they wanted it to be uncapped was because all the big guns were going to be on hand for this all-black 15 game. Um, So now that that's not the case, um, it's kind of makes it more peculiar, I guess, why they don't want it to be uncapped unless they're that worried about sliding further down the world rankings, I guess. I don't know. Um, Mm. But... It's yeah, so that makes it more a, a little bit more interesting. Um, yeah, it's uh, I mean, I think ultimately at the end of the day, like you know, it's not it's not every year that as Canadian fans we get a all black branded team, uh, oh. you know, in Canada, and the fact that I guess it was kind of an was it actually officially announced or did we just. Did Rugby Canada like officially announce it or was it just kind of like a because they haven't even really officially said that it was canceled. I'm just trying to figure I'm trying no, to remember well, if it was like that it got all like reported that it was going to happen. Um, yeah, so it was that. reported by the All Blacks, um, well, Rugby New Zealand on the All Blacks 15 website uh, that a fixture was early. happening in Canada. And because it was happening in October, it was outside of the international test window. For the end of the year tests, oh, so, so games would be too. So yeah, it was it was technically out of World Rugby's um, area of interest. So yeah, uh, and actually, speaking of the um, like uh, America's uh, Rugby Trophy tournament, it's also been confirmed that Uruguay will be hosting uh, the senior or like the second senior, I should say, sides of Uruguay, USA, and Argentina. And these uh, fixtures that seem to be happening at the same time, or roughly the same time, I should say, as the America's um, uh, Camp Rugby Trophy. So it does. So it's basically USA? all the teams of the former America's Rugby Championship in two pools, and it's none of their fully capped teams. It's all it's all the uh, senior second teams. So. The USA Falcons, um, Uruguay 15, and Argentina 15. Mm. When's well. the Repechage tournament? 
the, the Repesage tournament. Um, that, I believe, is in November as well. November. Again, we do our research. We totally do our research. I, I don't know why uh, anyone would dare uh, think hey, that we... Can- uh, Canadian rugby podcast. We're not, we're, I don't... I don't I'm not yeah, worried, yeah, we're not in this World Cup, so who cares yeah, about I'm it? Not, it doesn't <laughs> exist. Doesn't exist. Yeah, Never exactly. happened. I'm, not, I'm not worried about when the Eagles play. It's uh, it's fine. Right. Um, Let me have a quick gander. I believe um, it's been announced those uh, fixtures are for November. So, oh. that, well, that makes sense. It, obviously, you just said it's the a Falcons, world rugby, though, anyway. A World Rugby um, planned tournament happens within their set-designed uh, release yeah. window. Of course, that's, it can happen. That's going to be an interesting tournament to watch, too. Um, either way, back to, I think, the point that we were trying to make here. Yes. Um, so I think, like, I guess, you know, knowing that we don't really get that many opportunities to see all black branded teams playing in Canada, um, it's... You know, it's obviously a little disappointing, but I think, like I said last week, like, I mean, I, I last week when we were kind of talking about it before this news kind of broke, I was very concerned about the fact that tickets aren't on sale and there's no venue announced. And I guess yeah. I guess we kind of found out why. On, on one hand, it's it kind of stinks because it'd be cool to see like an all black team. But on the other hand, they kind of probably would have got smoked and I don't know how much they need that right now given given everything around rugs surrounding rugby canada and like an organization that's clearly in like a major transition i mean even looking at their social media they're putting up job postings on what seems like every like week or two weeks right now too so Mm -hmm. um there's you know obviously a lot of change happening there and i wonder if all that change is kind of impacting um you know, the impacting like the uh, the competition schedule, yeah. things like that too. Yeah. Um, it may as, even as be we a... kind of start to figure out what uh, what's going on with uh, Rugby Canada going forward. It does make the teams that are going to go to South America a little bit more interesting too, though, because obviously, yeah. you know, despite the fact that it's going to be it's not going to be capped matches, you'd imagine a lot of the the big guns are going to go down. Like, I mean, maybe not guys playing in Europe because it's not going to be a cap no, game. No, absolutely not. But the guys playing in Europe don't play cap games. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly that as well. But oh. as in, that should now be like, you've run out of excuses. Get the these guys that haven't been capped before to play a bit. Get, um, you know, yeah, like, names and faces out there. Just, you know, increase your But depth. they're not going to be capped if they play. Exactly. In games, but, right? exactly Which was but, our argument last week is that the game should yeah. have been capped, but yeah, well, anyway, let's uh, keep it in uh, Canada um, and, well, Canada and South America for a second, because uh, an interesting uh, rumor is circulating. I want to emphasize rumor. Nothing has been confirmed as of recording, which means that it has probably been confirmed after recording. You know how <laughs> the show goes. Um, but down in South America, they have SLAR, which is Super League. Americana de Rugby, which is the Southern Hemisphere or Southern American version of MLR, to put it in uh, as general terms mm-hmm. as possible. And Paul Tate, uh, part of America's Rugby News, has um, tweeted out that the rumors are saying that Cafeteros Pro, um, which is the Colombian side, is out to be replaced by an Argentinian side in Tucumán, but also included in SLAR 2023 are the uh, American Raptors, which are based in uh, Glendale. You may know them as the Colorado Raptors or the Glendale Raptors as well. Uh, But they're currently the America Raptors. 
and the Pacific Pride, which is uh, Rugby Canada's developmental side as well. And following up with this, so Brian Ray, also with America's Rugby News, um, tweeted out, I'm told to expect an announcement from Rugby Canada soon. I have no idea how the logistics are going to work. Significant financial support is coming from World Rugby. And then there have been a few uh, replies about this. Um, and Brian Ray goes on to say why these teams have been chosen for SLAR instead of MLR. And he points out the MLR team is significantly more expensive. There's a franchise fee. There's higher pay. There's way more staff involved. But as for this thing, no idea what the plan is yet for travel or housing. But would think that will eat up an awful lot of the budget. So as as I said, this is a rumor. There's nothing guaranteed. There's no confirmation. The evidence does seem to that there is support from World Rugby at this point, but you know we'll be waiting for that uh, Rugby Canada announcement. And if that is uh, publicized on social media, we will uh, retweet it, reblog it, whatever it comes out as. And yeah, I'm sure we'll be. Uh, invested in it. Um, I'm guessing the Pacific Pride are getting no off-season whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, they play a lot of games, which is probably good, maybe, for a development team. Uh, good, um, good for developing players, not so much for, um, you know, muscle recovery and things <laughs> like that. I'm sure. I'm sure they've got it figured out. Um, so, what, like, what's your initial reaction to this? If this was to come to pass um, for... The America's Raptors, this seems to have been something that they've wanted ever since they left MLR. Which I still um, don't really understand. Yeah, as it, I know it doesn't make sense cool. from uh, from our perspective, but, you know, Glendale's its own uh, little bubble, so... Yeah, I guess so. Whatever. Um, but Pacific Pride, now obviously getting the Pride players to play more games, especially against uh, tougher opponents um, in a more professional atmosphere and environment. That's obviously great news. Um, what it seems to be is that um, the structure would probably revert back to being a home and away uh, schedule like it, it was supposed to be in 2020. Um, for the past two seasons, it has been uh it's been home in a way, but it's been in like specific locations. So uh, well, see, I think in Chile and Uruguay. Yeah. So now it will be reverting back to a home in a way structure. It's also over a much larger area than uh, <laughs> MLR as well. As oh, so this is a significantly larger area. For, no, uh, I mean, I mean, and this is before um, <laughs> talking about uh, adding a Canadian and American team. I mean, you know, there's is it, uh, is it a larger area? I feel like Canada. Like, I, I think well, Canada big. is uh, pretty big, but in the sense of teams furthest are like far further have. away than they uh, are. It like you're more likely to get to another MLR team across the same distance than you would hmm. be to get an SLAR team. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that if World Rugby hadn't been supporting this, or unless because that seems to be. Yeah. What um Brian Ray's been saying about significant financial support um coming through from World Rugby. If they hadn't done this, this wouldn't be a question. I don't think it would yeah. um, happen. Like um obviously we've heard the rumors of 
the um, joining fee for an MLR team is $25 million. And that's not even bringing into the accounts of um, stadium rental, media deals, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So pro sports is uh, not cheap. Well, yeah, someone's got to pay up, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, I think, well, the Pacific Pride, they would be most likely playing home games at Starlight Stadium. See, though, would they? Well, that's the thing. I <laughs> But well, the I thing think is, that's, is that that's my the question. same financial commitment to then have yeah. teams based in South America for a minimum of ten weeks, and then having yeah no okay. So that's my question because I know you follow SLAR like how more than I do, but like how long is their season normally? Well, again, because the only seasons they've completed have been truncated because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's oh. ten weeks from uh, start to finish. But if it was to revert to the original model that was set out in twenty twenty, is that um, the first uh, five rounds would be um, first set of fixtures, and then the second set of round would be oh. like the reverse fixtures. So if you played um, home against uh, one of the uh, Argentinian teams in. Uh, round one, you'd play them as uh, an away fixture in mm. round six. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like, I think, um, you know, I guess as the Brian Ray's tweet pointed out, like, I'd be very curious to see what the logistics of this are, um, especially with, as you just mentioned, home and away games, because that's like, that is quite the trip. That's quite the trip for like a South American club team to make too, up to like Canada or up to. Um, Colorado, right? Yeah, I think like ultimately, like I don't. It it does feel kind of weird having two North American teams in the South American competition, but it feels about just as weird as South African teams playing in the URC, um, which yeah. uh, you know is happening right now. I think, like, I guess I my, my initial I have I guess I kind of have two thoughts. I think I would rather see the Pacific Pride and even the Raptors kind of playing in like almost like a minor league rugby sort of system like yeah in games against like other mlr like uh, i don't think like the pacific pride should be in major league rugby i think that's kind of a thing that certain like a national team development program should not i don't think should necessarily be there but if they were like a like a minor league system where you have like the development team playing other teams like the academies from like the arrows or new england or uh houston or whoever else has an academy now, plus you can mix the Raptors in and kind of have a more formalized competition within that group. Um, But that's not really a thing that completely exists yet. So I guess SLAR. Um, The only, the one thing though, that I think might be good um, with SLAR and stuff too, is at the end of the day, right? Like this, the Pacific pride is the rugby Canada national teams development program. Right. So it's like, The idea of it is that guys play for the pride and then move up to the national team. Um, Yeah. Right. And I think like part of part of that experience, I think, which might be good is like, obviously, I think part of that experience is, you know, you get the, uh, you know, get you get the proper coaching and stuff. You build your skills with, you know, you work on your hands, work on tackling, work on, you know, your kicking or whatever it is. Right. But I think part of that might also be like, 
you know, how to act like a pro when you get to the national team as well. Right. And I think like maybe the idea of like here, like if you're going to play on the national team, it's like, yeah, here's a simulate. Basically we're going to go play club teams, but here's like a simulated tour of South America. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is, which is, this is what it would look like if you played for the national team and the national team had to go play, you know, spend three weeks in South America playing Uruguay, Chile, and Brazil. Yeah. Right? And this is how this would go. And then you can kind of do that with the pride and maybe um, I'm sure like, I mean, off the top of my head, I know like a lot of guys for the pride have played like U twenties or whatever and yeah. have some international experience, but it might just be like a little added benefit. So I can kind of see that, but I think like one, like obviously the the funding, which I'm curious to see what world rugby is actually putting into it and stuff, but, and just like the general logistics, I think like, like, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but it just, it does kind of feel to me, it feels a little weird and I would like a little bit more information on how this is actually going to work before really passing a judgment, but I can see a benefit of having the pride fly down and do a little tour of South America even if it's part of a little organized competition. Yeah, but again, this is all uh, rumors at this point. So by the time this uh, episode comes out, yeah. it's been announced and a detail plan has been explained. Fingers <laughs> crossed. But, Which is uh, going to happen on Tuesday. Ex- it of always course, does. Of course, we all know. It always we all know. does. We all know how this song and dance goes. Yeah, just right. like Lucas Rumble signing. Should we talk about that now? Because we didn't yeah, talk that's, about it last week. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, speaking of things that came out on Tuesday... Um, <laughs> So we are bringing it back uh, to Canada, back to Toronto specifically, uh, because uh, the vice captain has re-signed, which now makes both vice captains and the captain for 2022 have re-signed for 2023 with the Arrows. Lucas Rumble is back for more. You know, he's got more uh, breakdown steals than I think certain teams have. At this point, and I think nearly what was it like twenty nine more than uh, Tommy De La Vega, who sits second for breakdown steals. Lucas Rumball's breakdown steal numbers are absolutely absurd compared to the rest yeah. of the league. Yeah, it, it's like, just... it's it's comedic, really. Like it's yeah, yeah. I mean, we're laughing. I'm not sure the other teams are, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, but you know, um, Arrow number one has been here since. Uh, the very start in 2019, and uh, you know, great to see him back. Also announced this uh, last week that is returning um, is Mason Flesh, who unfortunately had his season truncated with an ACL injury, uh, required surgery. Uh, hopefully, he's uh, been on the mend, getting better, but um, that injury basically ended his MLR season. And you know, Mason, tall guy. Uh, great guy to have in the forwards you know you know you need these uh, young uh, player young tall players that uh, mike shepherd can rely on to get the ball in the line out instead of himself so yeah definitely great to see mason back uh, along with rumble obviously uh knowing us there's going to be a slew of other signings that will happen between now and when this podcast is released because that's mm-hmm. just how this uh, song and dance goes but we do have to announce a departure from the Arrows faithful, and that is news of a trade because Cole Keith will be traded to New England in return for salary cap considerations. So 
unlike Andrew Quatrin, who got traded to Utah and then traded from Utah back to New England, Cole Keith, straight trade to New England. Um, Cole even reached out to us on uh, Instagram. Thank you for the lovely message. And, you know, this isn't the end. We're going to be interviewing you as well. We're also going to be cheering you on when you come back to uh, Toronto for... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not, not when he comes back to Toronto. Uh, no, Every cheering him. Game. No, no, no. Every cheering him as he comes onto the pitch. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, every other every other game's fine. Not when he's not when he's back in Toronto. But um, um Cole but yeah, Keith, though, first uh, first player we ever had on the podcast. Yeah, and we're obviously very good. He he came on after. Was it you or Dan that said Detroit should play on the wing? Uh, I seeing as he's not here to defend himself, I'm going to say Dan. <laughs> oh, um, okay, yeah, all right, fine. That's uh, we'll go with. Well, I you know what? I'll believe that. I don't remember. I remember it was one of you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Know. Yeah, it was Dan. Definitely uh, Dan. No, 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 yeah, no. exactly. So he uh he came on, and that was the uh he came on to uh, uh set the record straight. Set the record his, straight. Uh, that, yeah, sprinting capabilities. Yeah. And um, also that he is apparently is uh much faster than him. And uh, yeah, so that was a good time. And I think we had him on a. Uh, uh, another time since then too, and uh, yeah, um, uh, when it was down in Atlanta as yeah, well. So. Down in so, so now we need to. So we've had um, basically yeah, what, one uh, one of him back home, one of him in Atlanta. Now we need to interview him when he's down in uh, New England. New England. I, th- I think yeah. that's only fair and reasonable. yeah, exactly. We have to do a we need to do a massive New England like roundtable, but I don't know if we can. I don't know how a fourteen person podcast is going to. Yeah, well, might be. A, wait, might wait be see, we say that. I think, we, I, think it's now, I think it's now time to have the discussion with uh, the New England Free Jacks to be renamed the New England Mounties. I was going to say, as we just, as we, as you know, what it really should be, much like how we have one national team development program on the West Coast called Pacific Pride, these guys are basically Atlantic Pride now. Yeah, I suppose so. So uh, let's go through the list of Canadians for the Free Jacks um, as reported at this present time um so we have josh larson captain obviously uh regan o'gorman uh foster dewitt uh, isaac olsen uh mr two tries a game jack reeves is canadian eligible even though he is uh playing in england at this present time with gloucester uh ethan fryer uh connor young and then the aforementioned andrew quatrin and cole keith and according to Brian Ray of America's Rugby News, there are more to come. So basically, we're basically on the verge of having two Canadian franchises in MLR, I think. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah, we just have to. All that's left is for the uh, Canadian military to go down and uh, take over Massachusetts and uh, officially make it part of Canada. Essentially, I think that's the only part that we're missing. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it's kind of wild. It's uh, obviously like. This is obviously the most Canadians that has been on an American MLR team. And I guess if they're adding to it. So, I mean, it's nice to see, uh, you know, Tom Kinley, I guess, uh, really doing a, doing a lot of scouting north of the border, I guess. And uh, yeah, seems to be working out. I wonder, you know, I also kind of wonder, like, how much of an influence a Canadian captain has on, uh, you know. Yeah, well, the, uh, well obviously, I, I think it's the, the word of mouth that's uh, helping out as well. Cause that yeah, it, does, it doesn't hurt thing. that they're a really good team, too. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's a shame we don't have the team list of the 2019 uh, Seattle Seawolves because I think they have the record for most Canadians in a non-Canadian MLR team. 
Uh, yeah, but I feel like it was only like five or something, though. Yeah, we'll we'll reach out. We do to, have it though. We'll oh, reach out God. to James Dealey, and he'll be able to uh, correct us. Mister Stats, MLR Stats man, who's uh, give me a second and I'll figure it out. What twenty? Right. Whilst okay, whilst you're figuring out that, I'm gonna keep it back in Toronto because we have some local rugby news in terms of the McCormick Cup, which happened this weekend just past between Barmy Beach and Toronto Scottish, and the final score was Toronto Scottish 23, Barmy Beach 24. What a game. One point is a difference, and Tor- and the Barmy Beach win the McCormick Cup. This is the Beach's 16th McCormick Cup, and the first since 2015. Uh, for all you Arrows fans, playing for Toronto Scottish included Marcello Wainwright, and former 2020 Arrow Dylan Young was playing for the beach. So congratulations to Barmy Beach on winning the McCormick Cup. And yeah, yeah, it's just been a great season for the beach, uh, up the beach, as they say. And <laughs> now looking forward to now having to retain the McCormick yeah. Cup for 2023. All right. So the 2019 Seawolves had eight Canadians on them. All right, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, you're correct. At this moment in time, the Free Jacks have the largest number of Canadians or Canadian eligible. How many Canadians have the arrows officially re signed? (laughs) Uh, It's been uh, a lot of. uh, Well, that's the thing. um, That's what I'm saying. I know, I saw one because that's the thing. We'll uh, get more announcement as uh, uh, we approach the 2023 season. And remember, a lot of the new guys that have signed are also Canadian eligible as yeah, well. Who were the nine Canadians on Seattle in 2019? Uh, I don't know. And you still want to hazard a guess? Um, I'll, I'll give you an easy start. One of them was a podcast guest. I know. That's why I'm drawing a blank because he was a former Osprey as well. Um, yes. Uh, Jeff Hassler. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff so and assorted others. Assorted others. Wow. <laughs> Not even a try. No. And well, we've still got a lot to get through on the podcast. So I think uh, now is as good a time as ever to move on before I embarrass myself any further. So we've been talking about um, laws of the game, um, rugby union, uh, the 15th in the past. And so we've talked about the pitch and the playing area. We've talked about the ball and the ball specifics. And now we're going to talk about the team. And so before we get into this, this isn't actually part of the Lords, but I think a lot of new um, fans of uh, rugby union see players with numbers on the back of their kits they're not entirely sure what these numbers mean, and people keep throwing out names and words of who they're meant to be and what they're supposed to do. So we're going to give you a quick um, go through of all the players, the overview of what they do, what their numbers mean, and what certain phrases mean. So to begin with, um, we just want to say that each team starts with 15 players uh, in the playing area. Um, eight of them are designated as the forwards, and seven of them are designated as the backs. So we have the forwards and backs. Um, Derek, do you want to talk about the forwards, or do you want to talk about the backs? Sure. I know nothing about being a back, so I guess being a forward seems to be the way to go. Um, All right. Take it away with player number one. All right. So basically, uh, as you said, Stu, that uh, 
unlike other sports, the numbers that players wear in rugby actually correlate to the position that they play. So the forwards wear jersey numbers one through eight. Uh, basically, they're broken up into three sections. So you got the front row, second row, and back row. Um, so the front row uh, consists of a loose head prop, who's number one. Two is a hooker. Three is a tight head prop. So obviously, they're the first guys that are in the scrum. They are also... Um, so essentially they're the front row in the scrum. The hooker also is going to be the guy that throws the ball in at the lineouts, And the props are also going to be the guy that's guys that usually do a lot of the lifting in the lineouts. Not the only guys that lift in the lineouts, but they're generally there. Um, and essentially the thing that makes their position really unique is that you kind of need them to play like literally need them to play. Um, if in the event um, that all six of your front row players go are, or if in the event that you don't have enough front row players um, in order to actually be in to form a, a full scrum, um, the game has to actually go to uncontested scrums just because of how specialized um, the being in the front row of the scrum is with the actual engage of the scrum. So that's kind of the more, interesting um part of the uh kind of part of their position every other position you can lose as many scrum halves or eight men or locks as you want but if you start losing the front row guys then that actually changes the game a little bit um props simply they're called props because they prop up the hooker the hooker is in the middle of the scrum he's called a hooker because um he hooks his ball the ball back with his foot Behind, if you're looking at the way a scrum is set up, the behind the behind the front row is the second row. Those are called locks. Where number four and five, um, they get the name because they lock in the scrum. It's really creative. Get it? It's the uh, props prop a guy up, a hooker hooks something, and a lock locks something. It's all really specifically creative names. Um, so they uh, they kind of depending on who those players are. Um, they're, you know, obviously a big factor. A lot of the power in the scrum kind of comes from them too. Um, often a lot of them kind of go, will be the jumpers in the lineup, but some of them aren't. It kind of really depends on the, the play style and the side, like kind of the play style of each ind- of the individual player. So the back row consists of two flankers and a number eight. Again, the super creative names because the flankers are obviously on the flank and the number eight was number eight. So creativity shining through there. Um, Basically, you have an open side flanker and a blind side flanker that correlates to wherever the scrum is. Um, one player is going to be set up on the open side, so obviously, so meaning more, more field available. One flanker will be on the blind side. Blind side flanker typically wears six. Open side flanker typically wears seven. Depending on where the scrum is on the field, they'll switch sides. Um, these are the guys like Lucas Rumball, for example, is the open side flanker. And as we kind of mentioned earlier, um, has a lot of breakdown steals and stuff. Those guys are generally the players that you want involved in those rucks and, uh, typically are really good at, um, stealing a ball back. Um, also have to be like really good tacklers. Number eight, um, the only player in the forwards that's allowed to like pick up the ball from the scrum, from the back of the scrum. You generally want those guys to be really powerful ball carriers. And um, yeah, that about sums up the the forwards. Obviously, there's a lot more to it, but I guess that's the uh, the gist of the simplest way to kind of explain what everybody sort of does. Um, Got to. I feel like we want to do this quick, but this uh, to explain every position requires. Yeah, no. 
I understand, but you know, we get it. So we move on to the backs now, and we start off with numbers nine and ten. Number nine is the scrum half. Number ten is the fly half. And they have interesting positions. So the scrum half gets his name from feeding the ball into the scrum. Uh, they also, when a player is tackled, they move the ball back. It is normally the scrum half that picks it up, passes it out, gets the ball going again. So they can really dictate the pace of a game. They can uh, speed it up, slow it down. And they normally paired with the fly half. So when the match kicks off, it's normally a number 10 that gets the ball uh, going. And that is the fly half. They're able to govern the attack and defense of the forwards. They're able to relay the attack plan to the scrum half. And they're called scrum half, fly half. They're known as the half backs. Okay, then we move on to the wingers. These are numbers 11 and 14. 11 for the left wing, 14 for the right wing. And... You know, both usually stay near the touch lines and they are there to finish off attacking plays or form the last line of defense. As such, they are very quick players. The wing is the narrowest area between the touch line and other players. That's where the name originates from. Then we go on to 12. I know I've said 11 and 14. We're now going back to 12 for the inside center. So they remain near the fly half, and that's able. That's because they're able to assist and commit to both attacking and defensive play. Uh, all centers, but especially inside centers, they'll need to be able to run and pass and tackle often. So you know, very strong players. Think of um, uh, Jonathan Joseph, George North, those kind of guys. And then we have outside center. So they're the faster of the centers. Sometimes they're wingers that have moved. Um, put on a bit more muscle, become a centre instead. They're a bit further back from the fly half of the inside centre. This allows them to carry more momentum into carries and into tackles. They can also run dummy lines as well, and that can really confuse the opposition and give you an opening to score tries. Now we move on to 15. Uh, that's a fullback. So Lee Halfpenny, that kind of thing. Uh, the fullback remains at the back of the game. The name and they act as a sweeper they'll collect um long kicks from the opposition they'll help launch attacks they have to cover a lot of area in defense as well so when you take uh the full back which is 15 and the wingers which are 14 and 11 you form the back line then we move on to replacements now in most international competitions and mlr competitions there is eight replacements on the bench 16 to 18, they are the front row replacements. It is the law within the game that each team must be able to feed a replacement for a front row player at the first time of asking. So if a prop or a hooker has a injury and needs to um, come off, the referee will say we need to have another one come in to ensure the scrum continues. And so 16 to 18 are the first players that have to be designated as front row replacements. Uh, the remaining numbers, 19 to 23, these can be decided at the discretion of a team's coaching staff. So you may sometimes hear um, coaches doing a 4-4 split on the bench or a 5-3 split on the bench. So when they're referring to that, they're saying that the first number are forwards on the bench and the second number are backs on the bench. So... Um, the, like, so as I said, you can have split of... Um, 
four forwards, four backs, five forwards, three backs. Um, but it is eight players, but 16 to 18 must be front row replacements. See, I always kind of found that rule interesting because I think it's the only sport that does it, right? Where it's like you have to have the backup front row guys. Like I said, like if you run out of front row guys or there's not enough for whatever reason, then like you have to go to uncontested scrums after because it becomes a safety issue. Whereas yes. like, no other sport has that, right? Like baseball, if you run out of pitchers, the third baseman pitches. Like yeah. hockey, if you run out of if you run out of goalies, um, you can call an emergency backup goalie down. Um, yeah. so obviously the Zamboni driver, get him Zamboni on. Zamboni driver, yeah, which is the best rule in sports. Mm-hmm. But there are also games where it's like there's been teams in a, a high level hockey games where it's like the emergency backup goalie has been another player on the roster, like a healthy yeah. scratch guy or something, right? Um, so right, or you just you got to play without a goalie, right? Um, if, if you don't, if nothing's available, if the if you don't have them an emergency, nothing's available, and then you play without a goalie, right? And it's like you know. Football, if all your quarterbacks get hurt, hopefully you got a running back that can throw. Like it's, there's nothing, there's nothing really quite like it in any other sport. It's interesting. Yeah, very unique. Um, yeah, if you'd like to learn more about the laws of the greatest game, uh, you can do so on the World Rugby website. And um, as the Rugby World Cup continues or begins, I should say. Um, yeah. We'll be talking about more of the laws, especially as they come up in the games. And also when we get to the new MLR season, we'll be talking about the laws specific to MLR. But now it is time to focus on the preview of the Rugby World Cup taking place in New Zealand, originally meant to be in 2021, now being held in 2022. So... The tournament is in New Zealand. This is the first Southern Hemisphere country to host a Women's Rugby World Cup and the first Rugby World Cup in New Zealand since the men's in 2011. So it would have been a great occasion to have uh, 10 years on having the Women's World Cup. Obviously, um, things beyond anyone's control meant that it's now being held in 2022. And we have 12 nations taking part and there will be three pools of four teams. Uh, each team will play the other once in a round-robin competition format. The top two teams from each pool will advance to the elimination round, along with the two highest-placed third teams across the pools. That leaves a total of eight teams. They will then be ranked, and they will compete in the quarterfinals. Winners of the quarterfinals will progress to the semifinals. Losers of the semifinals will compete for the third-place match, with the winners of the semifinals set to compete in the Women's Rugby World Cup. And while the cup doesn't have a name, I think uh, it should be named after uh, USA Women's Rugby legend Kathy Flores, who is also a recent addition to the World Rugby Hall of Fame. So I think it should be called the Flores Cup, and that is how I shall be referring it to the rest of the competition and every time going forward. Okay, does it really not have a name? It doesn't have a name. We need to work. We do need to work on that. We do. Need, we need to work on that. Yeah, and considering that there's actual record of Kathy Flores being involved in women's rugby, I think it has a better claim to being named after her than uh, the William Webb Ellis Cup. But that's just me. Well, just call it the De Goody Cup because her name's going to be on it anyways. Yeah, but, yeah. 
<laughs> All right. So speaking of the goodie and the country she's leading, Canada, they are going to be in Pool B, and they will be facing Italy, Japan, and the USA. So it's uh, quite an interesting pool. So Canada is currently ranked as third in the world, uh, Japan 13th, uh, USA 6th, and Italy 5th. So Canada's still at the top of that pool. But, you know, it's not uh, guaranteed. It's a you know, close uh, competition, having 5th and 6th in the world as well. Um, so they got this too. But they got this. Of course, they got this. But the question yeah, is, they... how much have they got this? No, it'll be, it'll be it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think. I mean, obviously, it's. Uh, I think like the USA game is obviously a big one, just because it's Canada USA and it's always big. Um, when I remember like how we reacted to that when we got the pool draw, just because like. This is the best pool draw that has ever happened for any international tournament. Like, it's just rivalry, rivalry. There's a rivalries in every single pool. It's amazing. I um, The only issue for me, and this is just for personal preference, is that uh, in pool A is New Zealand, Australia, Wales, and Scotland. Yeah. And pool C is England, France, South Africa, and Fiji. And if you could swap South Africa and Fiji for Wales and Scotland, you'd basically have a rugby championship pool, or as yeah, close as you can get. That, and that, then... that, that's boring, though. Part of the World Cup is you see teams play everybody. Yeah, but, but then again, any game at the World Cup is going to be like bigger than other ones. Yeah. As well, so make of but, that one. Yeah, as you just said, though, like England and France in Pool C, and then you got New Zealand, Australia, Pool A. I mean, Wales and Scotland—that's still a Six Nation thing, too. Yeah. Um, Italy no. and Japan. I'm sure we can fabricate some reason why they can hate each other for a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, because I genuinely don't know. South Africa and Fiji. Um, the yeah, it's like you know what? Whoever wins this game's better at sevens too. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll find a we'll find a way to make everybody hate each other, uh, and just have rivalries across the board. Well, Fiji, it's their inaugural uh, women's uh, World Cup, so mm-hmm. congratulations to them. Um, but so these are so let's go over Pool A, and I want you to give me your top three teams that you think will make it through. So we have host New Zealand, who are ranked second. Australia seventh, Wales ninth, and Scotland tenth. Uh, I'm gonna go New Zealand, Australia, Scotland, Wales. Oh, okay. All right, interesting. I think uh, Scotland will form an upset. Well, it does yeah. seem that. Well, the thing is, is that I've watched you be disappointed by Wales enough in your life to not trust this. Uh, that is fair enough. Yeah. Well, the opening fixture um, has Australia, New Zealand, and Wales, Scotland. So it does seem to be that whoever wins that game will finish third in the pool. That's a a good start to the tournament. (laughs) Um, What a way to start. And in Pool C, we have uh, England, first in the world, uh, France, fourth, uh, let's say Russia, um, Republic of South Africa is 11th, and Fiji is 21st. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that one's pretty much in the uh, the way that you read it. I mean, England is 
the like the Red Roses are the team to beat. Like yeah. if you know what I mean, like there is you kind of go into this tournament. I know it's in New Zealand and I know like the Black Ferns are obviously going to have that level of expectation too, but it's literally like with how dominant England has been over everyone, like if they if they don't win this tournament, it's disappointing for them. Yeah. Like second place is disappointing or whatever. Yeah. Every other country, if you finish second, like you might be psyched. Like, I mean, as much as like, you, you know, can I mean, be like, psyched. For, yeah, for exactly. Like every, you know, obviously you'd probably be disappointed if you lost, but like everyone else would probably be like, you know, happy with the way they performed. It's like England's been massacring people. And then, yeah. you know, they're clearly the best team going into this. So it'll be, um, it shall be interesting, but yeah, I think this pool is a pretty this is a pretty straightforward pool. Like you said, Fiji's first first World Cup too, so it's uh, you know, this one seems a little easy to predict, which of uh, course means South Africa is going to win. So, <laughs> all right, so and uh, Pool B, as we mentioned, Canada, USA, Italy, and Japan. Mm-hmm. So this is a kind of a tough one, right? Because Italy Italy had that kind of surprise shock win over. France. some france thank yeah. you um earlier this this week right and so it's i mean canada's the top for sure i feel like canada's the top japan's bottom yeah and man whoever wins between usa and italy i think oh. you know i'm gonna pick usa just because i really i'm gonna pick usa as two because i really want that last game between canada and usa to mean a lot okay or whatever right. so i'm gonna go with uh yeah, I'll go Canada, USA, Italy, Japan, I guess, in that point. All right. So you said that third places are going to be for across the, for A is going to be Scotland, B is going to be Italy, and C is going to be South Africa. Which are the two that you think will make it to the semifinal? Sorry, quarterfinals. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh let's go. Let's go Italy and Uh, let me see Pool C for a second. Let's go Italy, Scotland. I'm now. This is the thing. I think it would be Italy and South Africa, mm-hmm. and that's just because um, Wales and Scotland will be up against New Zealand and Australia. Yeah, and both of those teams will be. Oh, but we want to win, but we also want to finish higher in these rankings. So we're going to, you know, okay. destroy Wales and Scotland and make them have a l- much lower uh, point differential. Yeah. And that's going to cost them their points. I agree. That, that's, so what's, is point difference what's determining? Because I'm assuming all these teams that are going to finish third are going to be like one and, th- one and three or one and two. Yeah. All those uh, teams that finish third. Well, I think it's, two, yeah, right? I think it's point differential. I mean, it's like tries four. Um, so it's point differential because points, four, the points thing, against. What's, uh, what's England going to do to South Africa, though? A point differential. I don't think we know. But I think <laughs> as well. Well, the thing is, I think um, that against England, with the exception of France, both South Africa and Fiji yeah. are going to have a lot of points shipped against them. But then I can also see New Zealand shipping a lot of points against Wales and Scotland as well. Yeah. I think I'm realizing like in this conversation, man, I like I'm really excited for this tournament. Yeah. I'm excited too. to see the the uh the Canadian team play. But 
man, I really wish I knew more about women's rugby in other like countries to talk about this like way more in depthly. <laughs> well, I think I feel like it deserves it. But I think yeah, we're on the precipice of yeah, um, professional women's rugby, and it like, does yeah. So this this feels like the men's World Cup in 1999 of. So much has happened since the last World Cup that we may be seeing something. Yeah. We may be even be seeing similar case of Australia winning that this World Cup as well. Yeah. But um, nah, it seems as though yeah, this is the start of something big. Yeah, and like, then, like I, yeah, yeah, when the like, when the World Cup comes to England in twenty twenty five, and there's sixteen yeah. teams taking part, and you know more nations are saying that okay, we're gonna have. Uh, a number of our players on professional contracts. I know, like, for example, Scotland have um, temporary uh, contracts for the World Cup. Uh, New Zealand, obviously England, uh, France as well have turned professional as well. Um, you know, we may say that Canada, the USA, it, even Italy, I think, are on the verge of um, turning professional as well as the... Uh, Six Nations um, gathers more heat. I mean, the WXV is set to start next year as well, which will get um, more women's rugby out there, you know, with the Pacific Four series as well. So, yeah, I think we're, you know, at the genesis of a new um, age of women's rugby. And it it feels great. And I think, yeah, it does. Um, I mean, like, I just... Like I said, like I wish I, I'm excited for those squidge rugby videos that are gonna drop to give everybody the uh, some yeah. of the the insight into it. But I think it's also like it's great that these games are all gonna be on TSN too. Um, yeah, right. I, I think it's the, and at like decent the Canada movies, games are I, gonna be on a TSN channel. TSN and the now. other ones are gonna be on streaming like TSN dot ca or the TSN app. Either way, it's great that it's on a major network in Canada, and then like people yeah. have access to it, like which which I think is awesome. And hopefully, you know, I just hope everybody gets behind uh, the Canadian team, and uh, you know, see some extra like maybe hopefully some extra like media coverage and stuff of it. And obviously, the further they go in the tournament, I'm sure that'll that'll increase more and more as they uh, as they go on. Yeah, looking forward to it, and so all the best. To uh, Canadian women, we'll be cheering you on from uh, coast to coast to coast, and hoping that you can lift the uh, Kathy Flores Cup, as I'm now calling it. All right, well, that is the end of the pod. And so, if you're looking to watch rugby, well, we've just mentioned it, haven't we? The Rugby World Cup will be available on TSN. Uh, that a few uh, early fixtures, but fortunately, because it is Thanksgiving weekend, you can stay up late on the Sunday and. Uh, watch um, Canada women take on uh, Japan and that will be at 10.15pm Eastern time and you know as we said on TSN so make sure to watch it there Uh, if you're looking to keep up with the Premiership and the URC you can watch it on Sportsnet so if you enjoyed listening to this episode of the podcast, you can listen to many of our others, either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Anchor FM. And if you like watching our faces and would like to see any extra video content, you can do so on our YouTube channel, at La Rouge Rugby. In fact, you can find us across all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at La Rouge Rugby. Derek, where can the fine people find you? 
at Brissette the Jet across all social media platforms. And you can find me across social media platforms, mainly Twitter and Instagram, at Hardmansfold. H-4-R-D-M-A-N. Well, Derek, we're nearly here. We're nearly back at another Rugby World Cup. I'm looking forward to talking about it next week. Thank you for joining me. And thanks to you all for joining us for another episode of Real Canadian Rugby on the Rouge Rugby Podcast. We hope you can join us again next time.